Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Speed Technologies, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. Give me a call. We'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business insight questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, and now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah July. So good evening to you all. Delighted to be here. Another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicking off this hour. And we have a bunch of stuff to get to. And I, I, I actually, I struggled. I've actually turned a couple of things around one or two times this afternoon, just trying to decide where to start. And uh, what I've landed on is an app, an Android app, and they have it for iOS too. That is going to change your life. Now, we don't usually talk about mobile apps on this show, partly because I, I just generally have this, I, this uh, I guess, belief that the mobile computing infrastructure sucks. And I don't really like it at all. Um, and it's just, it's which one sucks less? Do I think that iOS sucks less or Android sucks less? And a lot of people that I really respect in the tech community kind of share my beliefs. They now they they might they might differ and say, well, I think that iOS sucks a little bit differently, or I, I use this selfish thing or this. But I, there's no real geek I know of that's like, yeah, I've I've totally gotten gotten rid of my desktop computers and gone all mobile. And at the same time, these mobile devices, these little computers, are ridiculously powerful, and they have all of this. Really cool technology, GPS location in them, Wi-Fi in them, cellular LTE, the ability to do voice. And um, with the right application infrastructure, you can you can really leverage these devices to do some really cool things. And so the other week uh, I was talking – Chris sent me a telegram. <laughs> it was really funny. He says um, – He's very honest, right? And so he'll he'll tell me he'll he'll say, "Listen, I need I, this is what I want, and 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 this is the time period that we have to get this thing done before I am not interested in this thing anymore." And sometimes that time period is you know is a little bit tight. And and so I was I was out having lunch with my family, and uh, and he asked he, he asked me about something, and I was really particularly interested in engaging in that particular thing. And so I I I didn't have a way to to talk to him, so I just installed Plumble on my phone. And uh, and was talking to him that way. And we had a great conversation. And I started to think about all the various different things I could do with my cell phone. And so I started just looking at different apps that were available and looking at different problems that I had in life and how could I fix them. And one of the biggest things that has been a frustrating uh, aspect of life has been my wife. Uh, you know, we're very busy people between three kids and, you know, I've got kids and all these activities some of my kids are in school, others are in preschool, they've got church, they've got, you know, drum lessons and, and, and they're over at their, you know, families are watching them. And so trying to keep track of all these things, you know, does my son have lunch money and it, what's on the menu today and he doesn't like tacos and they serve those that, you know, the, there's Taco Tuesday. And so when there's Taco Tuesday, we have to pack him a different lunch. Trying to keep track of life, trying to keep track of life can be a difficult thing. And, uh, you know, with Ting, you've got the dashboard. And you log into the Ting dashboard, and it tells you your boom. There it is, all the stuff that you need to know about your Ting life. And uh, you want to know about server infrastructure? Boom! DigitalOcean has a dashboard of all the DigitalOcean stuff. Well, I needed a dashboard for my life. I needed a dashboard that could tell me, at a moment's glance, this is what's going on in the Chalaya family. And I found it. And the app is called Life Three Hundred and Sixty. Now, out of the box, Life360 does some really cool things just that, that are free that you don't have to pay for. And uh, some of the, 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 the primary thing of which is location tracking. So it's kind of like on iOS, the Find My Friends app, where you can look up where the other person is and you can, if you lose your phone, you can, you know, click on it or lock it and all that other stuff. So it kind of does that stuff on the free version, but it does it on steroids. Uh, it learns and you, you tell it programmatically. All of the places that you want to, that you visit. So we put in my son's school, we put in our house, we put in my office, I put in all of my clients, and um, it has a built-in messaging system. So I can, 
use the built-in messaging system to communicate different things about my current location or where I'm going or or that diff- those kinds of things. And it, again, it's contextually aware of what what the app is doing. So, for example, if it knows I'm at work, if I send a message, it will have a little thing that knows at work and sending this message just to make her aware. Um, and the more I and so right away, I think within like two or three hours, I was like. This app is amazing and the infrastructure is amazing and the the information that it provides to me and the, I guess, flexibility that it's giving my family is phenomenal. How much is the paid version? What more things could I do? And sure enough, it's like $2 a month. You pay yearly. So and then they knock off like 10 bucks. So I think it ended up being like $18 for the year for the whole family to get on this life 360 app and you have the flexibility just goes through the roof. So just for the review of this show, I started turning on all of the different features and a lot of them I'm going to shut back off because they're either not useful to me. I find them creepy or uh, it's just one of those two things. But for the purpose of reviewing the app, I think it's useful to know. And so I turned on all of the possible data collection things and all of the possible notifications and some of the things that show up when my when my wife goes when she leaves for uh, if she's going to take the kids to school, it knows that she is departed the house. And so I get a push alert and it says, hey, Sarah left the home. And when she gets to the school, it says Sarah arrived at the school. And it also says Sarah had during her drive a top speed of she completed a two and a half mile drive and a top speed of 43 miles an hour or whatever it is. Right. So the advantage of that is when my kids get to driving age, if they are also part of our family circle in the Life360 app, I'll know if they drove straight to school or if they drove over to their friend's house to pick Bob up, who I told them not to do, and if they were speeding down South Washington. Yeah, all of that stuff is is visible to me inside of the app. Because it has all of the location stuff, it can also do history tracking. So just the other day, I left my backpack at a client's, and I couldn't remember where I had been last. I knew I was, there's like three or four different places. I was like, where was the very last place I was? It's like, well, log into my life 360 app. Let me take it. Let me take a look. Oh, the last place I was at was here. Oh, great. I'm going to go ahead and, and do that. I left my phone somewhere. Log into the life 360 app. Not only does it tell me where my phone is, it also tells me what Wi-Fi network I'm connected to and my battery life and all of that stuff. I'm coming to do the show. And uh, as some of you know, the person who call screens the calls when you call in most weeks is Sarah. That's my wife. And um, right before we did the show, I get a push alert and I'm put up here. It says, um, <clears throat> it says, uh, Sarah only has 10% battery on her phone. Would you like to send a message to ask, to, to ask Sarah to charge her phone? So it keeps track inside of the, of the app what the battery life of all the other people in your circle is. Now, why that's particularly advantageous, my wife was driving to Fargo the other day and her phone died and I could look on the app. And even though it showed her last known location was here and now there's not a phone signal, I might have been worried about that. But it gives me a little message. Hey, by the way, the last known uh, percentage of her battery was one percent. So it's likely that her battery died on the way to Fargo. And of course, once she plugged her phone back in and arrived safely at her destination, I get another push alert says, hey, by the way, Sarah arrived at her uh, as at her location. Now, again, all of this, you know, when you turn all of those notifications on, the fact that I'm getting notified and she's getting the same, like we're, you know, we're doing it to kind of test it out. She's getting all those alerts too. Now, the fact that one spouse would get, you know, alerts or want to get alerts, I guess, about every time their spouse leaves the house or arrives at a location and what their speed was and what path they took and where their driving history was. Obviously, that's a little over the top and it is creepy. And the chat room's pointing it out. Then that's creepy. Why would you want to do that? But here's the, the, the but here's the, the truth is Google is already tracking my location. Okay, so it's not like I'm giving up some of my privacy. The only thing I'm doing is sharing the information that I'm involuntarily submitting. Well, I, we could get into a discussion of you know the EULA, but I'm involuntarily giving to Google. I'm now taking that information and very much willingly sharing it with my wife, who I could care less. I have nothing to hide from her. I want her to know where I am at all points of the day. And man, is that nice when I leave my last client for the day and she gets a push alert that says Noah left his last client. He'll be home in 57 minutes with current traffic and blah, 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 because that's where he goes at six. We figure that out. And that's where his next destination is. And then that really gives her an idea of, well, when should we do dinner? Should I take the kids out? And all of that stuff is just being handled automatically. 
now again, I'm I, I, I'm 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 against the whole cloud thing for the for the most part, and so I'm the last person to come on the air and talk about how great this cloud app is that you know is going crazy over your over your uh, over your privacy. But it, and maybe it's just one of those things that it just you have to try to understand it to to understand how incredibly useful this is. But I don't know what to say. Like there are so many there are so many times when I I have had to answer. Where we have gone back and forth, and I've answered, uh, you know, questions, and my wife will say, "Where are you right now?" Or, "Are you going to pick up Noah?" Or, "Am I going to pick up Noah from school?" And how far out? And who's going to do? All of that is solved now. All of that is solved because if she leaves the house around three o'clock, I know she's headed to to get the school and I uh, to to pick him up from school, and I get the notification that she's on on her way to his school. And if uh, same, if I'm done with a client and she sees that I'm I'm already en route, then she knows that she doesn't have to. So the kind of questions that those answers, yes, there's definitely a privacy discussion to be had here, and yes, you are very much giving up some privacy. But I submit to you, you're not giving any privacy up that you wouldn't have gotten. Uh, that you that you're not already giving up with Google, and the benefits are just are just crazy. And so I'm going to keep playing with Life 360. I think it is one of the most useful apps I have ever installed. Privacy aside, creepiness aside, I think it's really cool. And uh, as my kids get older, I think it's going to be kind of neat to, uh, to 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 be able to look at a map and be like, here's where your family is, and here's how long they're all going to be. You know, we went out to dinner too with my my cousin is in town. And man alive, if, if, you know, I'm, I'm headed over to the, we went to this place called the Ale House and uh, I'm over there and man, is it nice to pull up my phone, look at it. Oh, Sarah's, uh, Sarah's on her way to the Ale House and she'll arrive in 11 minutes. Oh, now I know she's already on the way. I don't have to ask her if she's left yet. Don't have to ask her if she has the kids. I don't have, we, I just, I know. And so I think that's really cool. And if you guys think that's too cra- creepy, then, uh, you know, that's fine too. Phone lines are open, one 855 450 That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at com. Make your voice heard, become a part of the program, and we will go back into the mumble room right after we head over to the phone calls. Lou is calling from Virginia. Hi, Lou. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hello, Noah. How are you doing, man? Excellent. How are you doing, Lou? I'm doing fine. I was the guy who uh, talked to you in Reddit about reviewing the the Dow 5510. So I'm hoping that oh, yes. uh, we can do that sometime in, in April. Yes, anytime, sir. You reach out to me anytime. I would love to do so. To give, to give the listeners kind of a backstory, Lou and I had gone back on Reddit and, and Lou got a really neat computer. And I really, I, I, and you guys just, from what I've seen on the YouTube channel, you guys love reviews of computers. And so I, I asked Lou, I said, would you come on the program and talk about it? Because I'd love to hear it. And you're using Linux on it. So that would be really great. Um, but how can I help today? So uh, I I had updated my multi-boot workstation, as I call it, because it's a tower unit, and I have multiple operating systems in there. So I actually, I'm sorry, I did a fresh install of Ubuntu 1604 on uh, on an SSD. Uh, but for some reason, um, when I installed an updated kernel, when I went from 4.10 to 4.14, um, Grub continues to prefer the newer kernel, and that newer kernel right now does not support ZFS. So I'm trying to ed- I continue to edit all these things to say, don't use the 4.10 kernel, do that. But when I do an update to a machine, even though I have the Grub XP default turn saying do not update Grub, it continues to update Grub. So is there something that I'm missing on how to tell Ubuntu 16.04 not to update Grub and so I can continue to use the 14, the 4.10 kernel. Okay. I'll, I'll be honest with you. So my, my first answer, my first inclination is to tell you that we probably should solve the fact that you don't want to update your kernel, right? Because there are some, there's some pretty serious security implications in, in that method. Um, But there is a way, and I don't, Am I in the mumble? I am in the mumble room. Mumble room. If you can help me out, if you guys happen to remember what this is, there is a file that that says the target uh, kernel that boots inside of Grub. There is a there is there is a way to update that and tell it when you uh, when you boot, always boot this as the target. Mumble room. Do you guys happen to know what that is off the top of your head? Not off the top of my head, but it's a hardware enabling thing. It is. Uh, I'll I'll figure it out. Hardware enablement question. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I'm not exactly sure what he meant by that, but it, here's the thing. 
Michael is a very smart guy, so I I would imagine he, he said he was going to look into it, so he he might have tucked out there. But yeah, there is a there is definitely a way to um to 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 set the target inside of Grub and tell it you know when you when you boot this is what this is you know this is the this is the kernel you want to boot and there there are reasons. I have had custom kernel modules in servers where we have to boot a specific version of the kernel. And yes, there's a security implication and no, the business doesn't care. They just know that they have to be at, you know, on this particular kernel version, there's nothing we can do about it. So I I have been where you are and, uh, yeah, that's just, that's, that's, that's just something you have to do sometimes. So I'll tell you what, Lou, I'll put you back on hold and I'll give Michael a second to see if he can track that down. And then uh, is that okay? Is that okay with you? If I ever do that and then I can bring you back up when he finds it. Well, well, uh, I'm gonna. I can take the answer off air. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to say, uh, long time listener, first time caller, and thanks for all you do on this show. And uh, I will probably try to call in next week with my other question. How about that? That would be great. And again, I look forward to having you back on the show when uh, when that laptop. Uh, when you want to come back and talk about that laptop, we'd love to hear about it. Again, phone lines one eight five five four five zero Noah. That's one eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow dot com. Dylan is calling. Hey, Dylan, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, I've been a big fan of your show for a while now. Awesome. How's it going today? Excellent. You calling us from Canada? Uh, yeah. Yeah, from Canada, from BC. Okay. Welcome. Um, welcome from but, Welcome from British Columbia. Yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been wondering about uh, what, what do you think about the recent decision? Like, it's not too recent, but what do you think about like the down in uh, Germany? They decided to ditch uh, Linux for Windows 10, which is kind of like spyware in a sense. What do you What do you think about that? I think it's short sighted. <clears throat> I think that. Um, I think that a lot of times, and we, we, you know, I think that a lot of times, a lot of these decisions are 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 driven by a lot of very loud and vocal people that don't really understand the technology. And I and I've seen that firsthand. We'll go into a business and we'll say, "Look, you guys are." For I'll give you a, a real life example that happened just a couple of weeks ago. There is mm-hmm. a company that they had a. Uh, office suite and basically it literally the only thing that office suite did was they had this templated letter and they they took some information that came out of a i i don't know exactly how i can say this on the air without giving too much detail away but basically there was some information that had to be put inside of a word uh, inside of a, a word document template and then printed out now that they wanted the logo up at the top and the phone number and all of that stuff is all the same just the body the text body in the middle changes so literally, there is no formatting of this document whatsoever. And we open up the template inside of uh, LibreOffice, and it imports perfectly, which doesn't always happen. Sometimes there are some import problems. It didn't happen this time. Absolutely sure. perfect. And then what ended up happening was because the toolbar looks different, which, by the way, they don't touch ever, uh, because the toolbar looks different. Oh, and, well, and then they start, they're, they're like, well, we're used to the ribbon layout, and we've got, and I'm like, well, here's the thing. One, the newer office of, off, uh, the newer version of Office does have ribbons if you want to do that. But the other thing is, it's much more uh, efficient to use Control A, Control C, Control V, because those shortcuts work universally across applications. And uh, that's not an open source argument, that is a user efficiency argument. If I go into MS Paint, the Control C, Control V is the same thing as uh, as you know Microsoft Word, right? So, and even given those arguments, the people that had to do it every day were very upset about it. Now, ultimately, in our case, because we work you know directly with upper management, they didn't really have much of a choice, and so they just ended up you know complaining about it. But I have seen where firsthand where those people start to get become very very vocal because things don't work the same way. And uh, uh, you know, Michael from the chat, actually, uh, you're on here, Michael too, if you key up in, in Mumble. But Michael in the chat room says that the even the engineers in Munich said that the mayor's decision. Uh, uh, regardless that it was completely wasteful. So yeah, they even they yeah, even yeah, said yeah. that the re- the reason why they weren't uh they were they, they were switching. They said the mayor said the reason why we're switching because there's there's software we need that are that people uh, can't use without having windows. And their biggest reason was because they need Microsoft Office. And then within like a week he came out and said we are, we haven't decided whether le- we're leaving LibreOffice or not, which is defeating the entire point of moving in the first place. Yeah, you know, and I question to a certain I question to a certain degree if there isn't some backdoor conversations happening. And I'm not not, not like I'm not putting on like a tinfoil hat or anything. I'm just saying like 
is there somebody in Microsoft, because they're a large company, that is rubbing the shoulders of some of these politicians and saying, hey, you know what, man, we'd really like you to come back over to our team. And, you know, these are the things that we could do. And and, and so I think it's a short-sighted decision. And particularly, I think it's interesting. I was talk, having a discussion with a client the other day, and they were talking about G Suite. And they were saying about how much more comfortable they were in, in G Suite than they are in traditional Microsoft Office. And I thought that's interesting for a couple of reasons. One... All of my kids, basically anyone under the age of 15 right now, is not learning Microsoft Office at all. They are almost wow. exclusively learning G Suite inside of the school because that's that's what's very prevalent, especially on Chromebooks and Chromebooks for Education and Google for Education, all of those things. And so the, yep. the generation that's going to come up in the next 10 years is going to be very proficient on G Suite and probably not going to be as efficient in Microsoft Office. And to add to that, then you start looking at document format and compatibility. G Suite itself actually uses the ODF format. And so if you download that format, it will import perfectly into LibreOffice. It will not import perfectly into Microsoft Office. Now, let me give you a – just uh, just got me on a roll, uh, Dylan, is what you did. But <laughs> but the uh, I'll give you an example from uh, Self, uh, one of my favorite conferences to attend, Southeast Linux Fest. They mandate that if you give a presentation that you use one of their computers and their computers are ThinkPads with Gentoo on them. So if you're one of the people that show up to a Linux conference and you have this snubbish attitude of, I'm going to make my presentation look much better than all of those Linux people with their open source software because I have, I have Impress or Microsoft PowerPoint and it looks so much cleaner and, and slick and I have Calibre font. If you're one of those people and you, and you, and I'm serious, you put your thumb, your presentation on a flash drive, you walk up there and you plug it into that Gentoo box. Guess what? Your presentation is all messed up. It's all sorts of goofed up because it didn't import properly. Whereas, the people that wrote their presentations inside of LibreOffice or were using planning on Linux, using Linux to begin with, they're like, I don't really care. Gen 2, Ubuntu, Fedora, doesn't matter to me. It's Linux. <laughs> Those guys are the ones that come out looking like rock stars. And so I think the shift is moving both inside of the open source community and inside of the corporate community at large. I think both of those are moving. And so I, I that's, you know, that you asked me what I think. That's what I think. I think it's a short-sighted decision. And I think that ultimately we are going to see Germany walk that back if we're not already seeing it being walked back like Michael was saying. Yeah, I understand that it's convenience that, it, you know, it's just from familiar, you know, with Windows XP from years ago. But do you think that like Linux can finally uh, emerge and finally become like a rival in terms of, you know, graphics drivers and, you know, just like PC gaming in general? Or do you think that that people are more on the whole on the whole smartphone craze? I think that in general, in, speaking in general terms, I think Linux always will have a performance competitive advantage as compared to Windows or Mac OS. And I think every time we've seen the two go head to head, you find that Linux comes out ahead. And we see that happening over and over and over again. If ever there was a time where Linux should not have succeeded, absolutely should not have succeeded, it should be in the virtual space. VMware had virtual servers and virtual infrastructure locked so far down and had it so far in the bag that people literally created services and businesses and consulting services based around VMware. And where are they today? Nobody seriously used, I mean, I shouldn't say nobody, but the vast majority of people that are spinning up virtual infrastructure today are not doing it on VMware. And I have it on some, uh, on some pretty authoritative sources that VMware is no longer actively developing a lot of their stuff. It's a lot of it's on maintenance mode. And, um, and so, and look what has taken its place. Overt, LibvertD. You see presentations. I go to a lot of conferences that aren't Linux specific, and even those conferences are talking about the performance difference and how KVM on Linux, on LibvertD, is almost indistinguishable from running something on bare metal. And that is something that, that these proprietary guys just haven't seen. And so when you start looking at the, the cost infrastructure, the uh, the ability to not have vendor lock-in, because you can move basically to any uh, file or any uh, virtualization infrastructure once you have the file system on QCOW2, and then you start adding the performance benefits, it's amazing how far Linux pulled ahead in a space that they should have never been able to do that. And now you start looking on the desktop side where you have snap packages and app image and flat packs and you start to see all of this universal packaging stuff. So now targeting Linux has become less of a thing. And if Canonical gets their way and they are banging down some doors with some force, if Canonical gets their way, you are going to see uh, snap packages 
available on Windows, macOS, and Linux. And so developers are going to target one place, one package system, Snap, and it's going to run everywhere. And we're looking at that early, early days, like the very first couple snaps that have come out. And I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm saying it's way, way better than any other packaging format. You know, if you think about it, comparing that to like the whole Java thing, package once run everywhere kind of thing, which never even came close to working properly. They're already in, 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 in like iteration one. There are they've already like blown that out of the water, so I I thank you for the call and I, that that's I I hope that Germany figures that out sooner rather than later. We were talking to a guy from Jamaica just last week that was talking about how his minister of techno I think it was minister of technology I think that's the thing they. The, the 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 minister of technology uh, literally has come out and said this was a short sighted decision. So, anyway, uh, thanks for the call. One eight five five four five zero Noah eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow dot com. Kevin is calling North Dakota. Hey, Kevin, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hello, Noah. How are you doing today? Excellent, sir. How can we help? Uh, yeah, I was trying to. Uh... Uh, clone my uh, Windows laptop hard drive. I was going to reinstall Windows because it's starting to act a little wonky. So I decided to uh, reinstall was the best thing to do. Okay. And I used Clonezilla as my my uh, cloning tool, which is a tool I've used for many years. Uh, I should mention that the uh, Windows laptop had a GPT uh, partition table. Anyways, when I was done with the cloning procedure, I tried to reboot the laptop and it wouldn't boot. It just sat there at a blank screen with a blinking cursor. And so Uh-oh. I shut it off, and I, I booted up uh, my laptop with a Linux Live CD, and I used Gparted to, to look at the hard drive. Well, it showed that the uh, the partitions weren't recognizable. Uh, and so now I'm trying to figure out if there's like a tool I can use to uh, recover those partitions. There is. Um, there's there's a couple different tools. The 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 one that comes to mind. It's actually a really fantastic tool that I had not uh, I had not heard of up until uh, well I'd heard of it but I'd never used it up until a couple of weeks ago. And I'm trying to I'm I'm, I'm frantically looking through my notes here to see if I can find what the name of it is. But uh, I and I I don't think I'm going to be able to find it for you right this minute. But I I'm gonna I'm gonna look into it and I'm I'm gonna get back to you. But basically, uh, and I notice you're in Grand Forks. Yes. Yeah. So if you want, if you um, do you, if you're on, do you know where Ultra Hospital is? Yep. So right across the street is the Med Park Mall facility. We're in, we're in that building. We're on the top floor. And if you, uh, 1191 South Columbia Road, if you, uh, if you bring your laptop by, we could definitely take a look at that. And uh, or I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll one up you. If, uh, if you got some time later on this week and you want to grab dinner somewhere, you let me know. Dinner will be my treat. And you bring your laptop along, and we can work on it together. I, I'd be lying to you. If I told you I was the, uh, if I was the best person to uh, to fix Windows partitions, I, I, that's not uh, that's not my specialty. But there is a program, and of course I can't find it now that you asked me on the air. But there is a program that you boot into uh, a live Linux distro. You install this program, and basically it can look at a Grub partition, it can look at an EFI partition, or it can look at a BIOS partition, and it can rebuild either one of those. I think it's just called Boot Fix. Actually, now that I think about it, I'm not sure on that. I'm trying to see. I feel like I, 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 it is, it's funny because I just fixed my wife's laptop and I found that tool and I was like, man, the whole thing is automatic. So I was really hoping I could find it. But, you know, of course I don't, uh, of course I don't write that down, but I'll find, I'll find out for you. And, uh, and yeah, what I'll do is I'll, I'll put you back on hold, Kevin, and I'll have Sarah grab your, uh, your contact details and I'll get a hold of you once I get off the air and, uh, and you and I can maybe bang that out. Um, yeah, something like, something like boot repair. That's it. Boot repair. Uh, and so it, it's got a generic name, but it's, it's a fantastic package and the whole thing is automated, works really, really well. Um, and, uh, chat room is saying that, uh, test disc, um, photo rec are great. I, those are, those are great tools for recovering data. I don't know if that's. Um, I thought they was wanting to do that, but yeah, boot repair would is, is, is a, I've used that before as well. Isn't it great? It's such an underrated tool. 
because yeah, it's probably because the name is is so generic and possible to find. Yeah, I can't remember it. And I just used it a week ago. But the the thing about the, the that boot rack program is that you literally, I mean, it's a, like a little wizard. It's oh, your computer's broken. Well, here's what we found. Here are the operating systems that are installed. Did you want to install Grub? Yes. Is it EFI or boot? What's uh, EFI? Okay, where would you like the EFI file to be? Right here. Okay. All right. You know, hold on a second. Okay. Now your computer boots. It's absolutely fantastic. Lou is calling. Hey, Lou. I assume this is a different Lou. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Uh, I've been looking around for a uh, movie slash TV script software sure, that's not on the cloud, and the go-to that I always use is now on the cloud. Do you have anything that's Linux-based and uh, not on the cloud? Any ideas? What do you want? The guys on Telegram. I was just going to ask, what do you want the script to do? Like, what 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 is the goal here? What are we trying to do? Make a movie script. Movie script. A TV. Oh, it's a. He wants to do like story story mode, storyline stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Well, yes, there is actually, and yes, I do have one that's not on the cloud. Let me see how fast. Let me see how good my my Google skills are. We covered this on uh, on the Linux Action Show. Uh, let's see here. Movie script. We covered this as an app pick on the Linux action show. And, um, I am trying to see quickly, man, the day of, of things I can't seem to, uh, I can't seem to find chat room. Can you guys look this up for me somewhere in the Linux action show? We did a, it was, it was a really great app. It was a, it's an open source. Do do you know what I'm talking about? Lou? Okay. Did you look, you know, you know, did you, do you know what I'm talking about or no? No. I'm going to find out for you, Lou. I, this this is something I I'll, I'll, somebody will find it. Somebody in the chat room look this up for me because I know we I know we covered this. It was an app pick on the Linux Action Show, and it was it was an open source it's called um, uh, Fade In. Fade In. There we go. So, you know you know why he got that, Lou. Are you still there with me, Lou? No, I didn't. No. Okay. Uh, the um, the. Um, it's called Fade In, and it's screenwriting software. And the thing that is particularly fantastic about Fade In is it is Hollywood grade uh, screenwriting software. They even go so far as to um, color the 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 background of the screenwriting software so it looks like paper. It's available for Mac, Windows, and Linux, iPhone, iPad, and Android. Um, and uh, it was used in Star Wars uh, Eight: The Last Jedi. It was used. In, I'm trying to see if there's other movies that you guys would recognize. A couple other small ones. That's probably the biggest one. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's really great software. Really professional grade software. Not second class at all. And uh, and runs on Linux. And as far as I know, it's not on the cloud. It's just you run it uh, you run it locally. Although you could back the files up on the cloud if you wanted to. But that would be my suggestion for uh, for screenwriting calls again one 450 noah 855 the email live at com. now i'm going to jump out of mumble here for just a second and uh, i'm going to switch over to our other system here and uh, we have a special guest coming on the show this hour and basically what uh i have uh, some of you know that after this episode comes out we do it live after this episode comes out, somebody edits the show and then publishes it for us. And that gentleman is a guy who we call Rakai. It's his screen name. And Rakai and I have been friends for many years, and I've worked with him for a very long time. And Rakai uh, and is kind of my go-to guy when we're doing projects. And lately, him and I have started to tackle cryptocurrency together. And um, basically what has happened is – the cryptocurrency world is going crazy. All sorts of different things are happening. <clears throat> so Forbes.com headline, Litecoin reaches one month high after hard fork. Litecoin railed, to, this is on today, published today. Litecoin rallied today, climbing to the highest in more than a month following Litecoin's Litecoin Cash hard fork that took place on Sunday. The alternative protocol assets altcoin price rose to as much as $253, according to CoinMarketCap. At this point, Litecoin was up roughly 16% over the last 24 hours and more than 135% over the recent low that it hit on February 6th. Additional CoinMarketCap figures show. This is This was also the first time that Litecoin reached a $250 Value since mid-January. Litecoin has been experiencing tailwinds lately that uh, that are pushing 
Traders piled into the digital currency in anticipation of the hard fork and rewarded those holding Litecoins with units of the newly created Litecoin Cash. This new cryptocurrency is similar to Litecoin, but with a few minor adjustments. Litecoin Cash came into existence February 18th, and more than six months after Bitcoin Cash, a fork of Bitcoin, was now created. Both of these newly created Digital cryptocurrencies have drawn substantial interest from investors, with Bitcoin Cash repeatedly ranking as one of the top five cryptocurrencies by market capitalization. So to give you a quick recap of what a hard fork is, why it's necessary, and what that means for those that are holding the the cryptocurrencies, essentially, the block size for the for the transactions is set at a given size. So let's say it's one meg. If we increase that size to two megs, we can process more of the transactions in a given computation cycle, I guess. But the downside is that it requires more computing power, more networking, more storage required to do those calculations. So proponents of this higher block size argue that it is it makes the currency more versatile because you can actually spend it. Whereas right now at the cost of, I don't know what, what is Bitcoin at 14,000 something uh, it's at uh, do, 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 let's look 14,094, almost $15,000. If, if, if your, if your cryptocurrency is trading at $15,000, it's very difficult to get money, money in or out of it because it's going to cost you 20 bucks just to do a transaction. The downside to increasing the block size is that it makes the currency more reliant on fewer infrastructure things. So if you have, you know, maybe the, the argument is if you had 100 people that could process one megabyte block size and you increase that to two, maybe now you only have 50 people that can process it. Now, I question whether it's that severe. In fact, I know it's not that severe. I question if it makes any measurable difference at all. But I understand the argument. And what that has led people to do as Bitcoin has climbed and become unusable as a day-to-day traded currency is invest in alt currencies. And one of the guys that has been kind of leading that, uh, spearheading that uh, thing and flipping uh, on a day-to-day basis is my friend Rikai. Welcome to the Ask Noah show, Rikai. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Now, this is the first time you've been on Ask Noah, yeah? I believe so, yeah. So I guess we'll start with this. You and I, uh, we have been hosting um, a, another show called User Error. And how, how would you describe User Error to people that it, maybe they've never heard of another show and this is the first time they're hearing it? How would you describe User Error? Um, it's the show with all the stuff that we can't put on any of the other shows that we do. <laughs> so it's kind of like the unplugged version, right? Yeah. And the the thing that I have always enjoyed about user error is the way we record it. It's we don't we don't when when I sit down to do this show, I do show prep. I prepare stories, I prepare guests, I come up with topics that we're gonna talk about, and then we go on the air and we talk about them. When we do user error, we don't prepare at least when the way that you and I do it, we don't prepare anything. We have a rough idea of some things we're gonna talk about, but mostly you and I sit down and it's just two friends having a conversation, and then you go through and painstakingly clip out the portions of that conversation that are interesting or that you think that are interesting to people, and we release that as a show. Yep, that's about right. And the and the advantage to that is there we we do we cover a wide range of topics, right? So I mean, we've talked for, about everything. We've talked about cryptocurrency, we've talked about mining, and we've talked everything up to and including religion. Yep. So that was last week's episode. So tell me a little bit about this. How did you first come to like, because I mean, working for a network that produced a show about cryptocurrency, obviously you knew about cryptocurrency, but what is it that actually drove you to say, okay, I want to personally get involved in this because you built a really nice mining rig. Like what drove you to say, I'm going to invest my personal time. I'm going to, I'm going to dedicate a whole machine to mining cryptocurrency, like at a, at a very high level. How did you get involved? Well, I mean, I actually mined uh, Bitcoin back in 2011 just uh, as a curiosity, and uh, that turned out well. But then I, I kind of just uh, fell away from it because I got um, I got burned. I uh, I lost my Bitcoin on a Bitcoin exchange, and it kind of soured me on the experience. But then uh, I don't know. Just recently, I decided why not give it another try. So you, I mean. In today's dollars, that's probably millions of dollars that you lost. Um, I think like forty grand. 
Oh, that's it? Yeah. So not even a full, uh, well, like two coins, three coins or something like that. Yeah, two or three coins, yeah. Okay. So that's that's not as bad. There are people that lost like 60, 70 coins. I mean, think about the guy. The, 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 so the point at which a lot of people say that Bitcoin truly became valuable was back when a gentleman convinced a pizza shop to sell him two pizzas for like 10,000 Bitcoin. And that was the, the yep. and then he went and posted about it on Reddit. And that was the first time that people were like, huh, this, uh, this digital currency thing, it has value because the guy says it has value, even though it doesn't have value. I guess it must be valuable. Well, I've, if they give two pizzas for it, I'd give three pizzas for it. And then it just kind of took off. And now we're at $15,000 or whatever. And, and so what you've tried to do now, well, I should back up. You started, you set out to, to be at the, f- uh, at the cutting edge of the next big Bitcoin, of the next big cryptocurrency, of the next thing to take off. Isn't that right? Yeah, kind of. So, and that was uh, Ravencoin, right? Yep. I figured, you know, I'd try to find something that seemed like it had potential and just get in early and see if I could uh, make something of it. And th- with uh, Ravencoin, what, out of all the cryptocurrencies, because at the time that you looked at Ravencoin, there had to have been you know, easily 50, 60 different uh, cryptocurrencies, many of which had more popularity than Ravencoin. What, what drew you to Ravencoin specifically? Uh, Ravencoin was um, – the developers that helped set it up are developers that are, are longtime well-known members of the uh, Bitcoin development community. So that's a good start. And then on top of that, the thing that they seem to want to um, – tackle is the transfer of assets which is something that uh several things have tried but nobody has done really well so it seemed like a combination of of good good things so basically the people you agreed with the you agreed with what they were trying to accomplish and you agreed with the people who were trying to accomplish it yeah and it seems to have panned out so far well, okay, so let's talk about that. So you started out where it was you were going to get into to mining these these crypto coins. You were gonna you were gonna be on the cutting edge, and then as it turned out, you're like, well, it hasn't gone up to like forty grand or anything, but I can sell these for more than it cost me to mine them. And so you sold some. Then a week later, yep. you, you or a couple days later, I guess you look at it and you're like, wait a minute, the price went down. Well, now I could keep the money I made, plus I could have all my Raven coin back. Well, I'll buy it back. And then you did that, and then a couple days after that. It went up again. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, I guess I'll sell it now. And and you've turned that into a daily thing where you're buying and flipping. Um, you're buying and flipping cryptocurrency to the point that you're you're bringing in some some sizable income for yourself. Uh, I have almost uh, two grand in Ravencoin and uh, 0.06 Bitcoin as well. And and to be clear, that's so 0.06. So that's uh, uh, two hundred bucks. No, uh, sorry. Yeah, something like that. Well, okay. And 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 you and to be clear, you didn't make this money because you mined a bunch of Ravencoin and it went up. You made this money by you mined some Ravencoin, you sold it at a low, you sold it at a high price, bought it at a low price, sold it at a high, and you've just kind of you've been kind of playing that cycle. Yep, I'm up to like a hundred and thirty thousand Ravencoin. So some might say, some might say you're doing with Ravencoin exactly what. Uh, Noah from the Ask Noah show says that somebody pe- people should not do with cryptocurrency because <laughs> I tell people not to not to invest in it to do it as a uh, to do it as a uh, as a fun thing, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm still doing it as a fun thing, though. I enjoy doing it. It's it's uh, something entertaining to do in my free time. So, talk to me about what you and I are. So, you and I are looking at potentially setting up a mining system. Is that going to be Ravencoin, or is that going to be something else? Uh, it'll probably be a variety of coins, whichever is the most profitable at the time. So we're going to set up a ultra speed mining center and, uh, and, and we're going to have Rekai is going to configure all of this stuff. And then I suppose we split the profits or something like that, huh? Yeah. Sounds good to me. So it's basically a matter of kind of setting this stuff up. Well, that's really interesting. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, good on you for being involved in the community, because, you know, if you talk to Rekai, it doesn't take long to realize that he, understands each and every one of these cryptocurrencies and the benefits and the detractors from them. And then, and and then you're able to kind of pick out that, that gem in the weeds and say, yeah, that's the one it's not even on an exchange yet, but I think I can make some money using that one. And that's kind of a skill. And even if I don't agree with the method, and even if I don't, I don't think it's a reliable enough method or that, that, and I don't mean this disparagingly, but that you have enough experience that I would tell other people to follow in your footsteps. It's definitely worked out so far for you. 
Yeah. Uh, I have no complaints. Yeah, not yet anyway. <laughs> well, we'll see how that goes. Well, so, uh, Rikai, I understand that one of the things that you do, and I've tried to kind of get myself into the mindset, and it's and, and I've had a little bit of difficulty kind of, it's not my cup of tea, so to speak, but you're, 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 you're moving me around. Uh, slowly, I'm coming to you, is you like to stream for fun. So you play video games, and you capture those video games, and then you stream those out. Tell me about that. Uh, yeah, uh, every single day now I stream uh, at least two hours of gaming, and I uh, I just like to hang out and entertain people, and it's it's good fun. Okay, well, great. And so I understand coming up, uh, you're partnering with Altispeed to uh, to to give some people some incentive to watch you stream. Yeah, this coming Friday and Saturday, I'm going to be doing a pair of 12-hour streams, and on each day, uh, for anybody that is a subscriber of me, I am going to give, uh, or I'm going to do a giveaway for a $100 gift card on each day. Oh, that sounds that's, great. That's uh, funded by AltaSpeed. Uh, I figured uh, I would give AltaSpeed a, a different avenue of um, advertising. Yeah, absolutely. And we're excited because Ultaspeed has always been on the cutting edge of technology. And so even if game streaming isn't really or, you know, isn't, you know, I, I, I don't I'd be lying if I said as a business owner, I, I sat down and I, I've looked over the white paper and uh, I've looked at the P&L and I've done some analysis and I've decided that uh, uh, this investment really has a high possibility of a, of a good rate of return, a good ROI. I, I, that's not that, right? It's it's I'm a geek, you're a geek, and we talked about this and we started looking and said, okay, what markets is AltaSpeed not participating in that we could be, whether or not it has an ROI, and what markets – uh, what, how, how could you get those things done that you want to get done, i.e., how can you stream these things? And so we came together and said, you know what, if we give some people some incentives, uh, they would come and watch you stream, and UltraSpeed would get some recognition in a community that is otherwise unrepresented, and so that's, we're going to partner up, we're going to do that. So we're giving away a $200, uh, is it, is it, we're giving two $100 gift certificates, did I say that right? Correct. Two one hundred dollar gift certificates from Amazon.com. And by the way, if you wonder why we always go to Amazon gift cards, it's not because I. I mean, I do like Amazon, but the reason is because we know that the audience is far and wide, and some of you are across the pond. And we don't want to exclude you. And if we were, because we are looking at shipping some equipment, we're going to do some gaming equipment. But when you actually break it down, it's like. Uh, to ship that stuff out, then we'd have to restrict it to U.S. only, and it's just eh, it's just kind of a pain. So if we do gift cards, then you guys can go buy whatever it is you want. And uh, if you're like our caller from last week who won the gift card for the Ask Noah Show uh, Telegram group, then he, you know, he actually gave a lot of that money away. So that's really cool. So where can people go if they want to uh, if they want to see you stream? Rec.net, uh, R-E-K-D.net. Awesome. And if they want to find that, then uh, then they'll head over there and watch you stream and we can kind of check this stuff out. That'll be really great. And uh, if they want to follow uh, you and me and our shenanigans in crypto mining and all of that stuff, where can they go? Uh, that would be com, and just uh, go to the shows drop down and choose user. Outstanding. Thanks a lot, Rikai, for being on uh, the Ask Noah show. We will get you back in the program real soon. All right. Have a good night, Noah. Thanks, sir. We appreciate it. Again, open phone lines, one eight five five four five zero noah That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Hey, Mumble Room, I got to apologize to you guys. The way that the uh, the system, I had Rikai on the same box that I had you guys on, so that's why you guys couldn't hear Rikai. You guys forgive me, right? Yeah. Oh, yep. Absolutely. Okay, good. That's what I like to hear. Again, open phones, one eight five five four five zero noah That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. So, guys, you know, there's been a lot of talk about HTTPS, encrypting your traffic on the interwebs. And it turns out that there are some people that think that um, HTTPS isn't a good idea. And it turns out that there are a lot of people that think that HTTPS is a good idea, and uh, the discussion rages on back and forth. And the Ask Noah show is not going to take a, a, a stance. Uh, uh, I, I have my own opinions. Uh, I don't think anyone would say that HTTPS is, is, a, is a perfect solution. I also don't think that um, I would agree that we have a better solution. So I will take the most secure solution that we have available at the time. But what the Ask Noah show wants to do is to Put our foot in the sand and say, if you want to do this, if you believe, like we believe, that every site should have 
SSL should have HTTPS enabled. We're going to show you exactly how to do that. And a lot of the so-called problems with HTTPS revolved around the idea that they couldn't be automated. You couldn't automate the renewal. And that, quite frankly, is factually false. It is actually incredibly easy to automatically renew a certificate. It does not cost any money, and it does not take any time. It is literally just a couple of commands that that you can set this up. Now, an important point of clarification, because I have watched people bang each other's heads against the internet lately talking about this idea of authenticity. And the uh, the question is, does an, HT, does an SSL certificate verify that a person representing a company actually belongs to the company they claim to be representing? In other words, if I bought, um, well, actually, we did this in the video. I bought Dell.Casa. And I have no official relationship with Dell other than our partnership agreement, which, believe me, does not cover any of the, you know, buying websites. Uh, we, we bought the domain Dell.Casa and we generated a valid SSL certificate that gives the user the green padlock on the website. And we copied Dell site and made some fun little changes to Dell site, you know. Because we know that Dell wants to take a strong support on Linux. <laughs> so we made that clear on their website. But the, but the point is that you, that it does, that, that SSL, domain level verification, does nothing to verify that I actually belong to Dell. It only verifies that I found a top level domain that hasn't been registered with, with Dell's name. And, um, Actually, I'm sure there's some sort of trademark infringement in there somewhere, but we're doing it as an example. We're going to take the website down. It's not meant to be permanent or anything like that. We're just using it as an example. You can do organizational verification where you buy a certificate from VeriSign or wherever, and they actually verify that you work for the organization you claim to represent. But here is the, here's the caveat and why I think that doesn't matter. If how you, somebody find me users that go up to that little green padlock, click on it and see which CA that certificate was signed with because 90% of, I don't think 90% of users would notice if there wasn't SSL to begin with. And the ones that do notice that there's SSL only notice it when a scary gram comes up that says this certificate is self-signed. We can't verify that this is the same server over and over again. Are you sure you want to visit? And then they got to click through the scary gram. Users will notice that, but no SSL or SSL that has a little green padlock. I'll bet you 99% of users, 99.99999% of users couldn't care less which what the CA is. And there's like probably some small, minute portion of the people that look at the CA and then go inspect the certificate or whatever. Uh, and so we made a video about that, and we'll have that linked in the show notes. And it sh- walks you step by step. I give you some of my opinions on SSL and uh, what SSL is and why you should use it. And then we go and show you step-by-step a tutorial on how to set it up. You can have it set up in under two minutes, add SSL to any site, add SSL to any web server that's whether it's running or and it's been running in, in with without SSL, or if it's a brand new site, you can set it up, any domain of your choosing, and we show you how to do the renewals. We automate that. It's scripted. It's part of the video. And so there is no excuse to have a site that doesn't run SSL. So make sure to check that out, asknoahshow.com, and, or I'm sorry, podcast.asknoahshow.com, and check out the show notes for this week's episode. There'll be a link to that HTTPS video. Coming up next week, I want to, uh, we're looking at making a video of the ultimate stand-up Linux workstation. We ordered some really cool equipment, and we got a really cool desk in, and we're going, I, I was demoing it, and it, I mean, it just, it has totally changed the way I worked, and it all started when I bought a US, my first USB-C dock, and I purchased it for a client, and I set it up, and I liked it so much, I went and immediately ordered one for myself. And uh, and then I started looking at it and I thought, wow, this would be a really cool video if we could set up and show you how could you make the ultimate laptop Linux workstation uh, that connects to all of these peripherals so you get desktop performance and a desktop feel from a Linux-based laptop with USB-C. We're going to show you how to do that. That video is going to come up. I'm not sure if it'll come out this week or or uh, or next week, but keep an eye on our YouTube channel for that. We're going to go back to the phones. Uh, is it Harvey from Massachusetts? Hey, Harvey, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. It's Herb. Um, Herb, sorry about that. Uh, hey, no problem. I'm kind of kind of a little starstruck that I, I, mean, I get a chance to talk to you, but uh, yeah, um, I, I was calling because um, I'm, I'm I switched over to Linux a while ago, and I'm just getting into gaming. And um, uh, I had a I had a Windows PC that was running, um, you know, Steam and had have all these games or whatever. And I wanted and like I want to switch it over to Linux, all right? 
but uh, I do. Want, I want to bring my games only, which are Windows only. Sure. You know I mean, sure. Now I heard you can do this um, using Wine, um, downloading the Wine version of Steam, and it downloads all the Windows games, and you know most of them will work if they're old enough, and so on. Um, but I wanted to know if there was a way to get it so that the Linux native games that do work on, on natively on Linux will run too. Yeah, sure. So um, I, I want to start. I want to. I want to reset this conversation just a little bit. Now, I am the guy that will tell you yeah. to use Linux wherever possible, all the time. And I in and and I've been doing this for a long time. Altaspeed started since 2009, and we have yet to come across a client where we can't find a way to shoehorn Linux into a, into a solution somewhere. And, I'd be the, and, and despite being that guy, I also have to be, if I'm being honest with myself and if I'm being honest with you, I have to tell you, there are some things that other operating systems are better at. And gaming is just one of those things at the moment where Windows is a little bit better. Now, that's not to say you can't use Linux. I, I just want to go into it with, 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 uh, with an open and honest discussion. And because I, we've got to build trust. And if otherwise, otherwise, if I don't t- tell you that and we don't start the discussion off that way, then everything, uh, everything else I tell you isn't trustworthy. And so we just, we have to be honest and start from a, from a, from a position of, of truth. And so that's the truth. Now, how, now how can we, now that's not to say you can't use Linux. And I'm going to help you do that. I would suggest not running Wine to do uh, gaming on Linux. Here's what I would suggest. I would suggest looking at something called PCI Pass-Through. Now, my friend Wendell over at Tech One Syndicates has a step-by-step how-to video. I'm going to put that in the show notes for you, and it will walk you through exactly how to set up a PCI Pass-Through. Now, what PCI Pass-Through does is it allows you to boot a virtual Windows infrastructure on your Linux box and run your Windows games. But the important differentiator here is that Windows seizes the graphics card and uh, some of the other peripherals like the keyboard and mouse. So you get native, almost kind of what we talked about at the beginning of the hour, almost bare metal native performance on your games. It'll work with all of your Windows games because there is, in fact, a little mini virtualized version of Windows running on it. Um, and yet, when if mm-hmm. Windows crashes and all of the security implications of Windows are all contained inside of this little virtual infrastructure, and so at the end of the day, it's kind of like saying, "Well, my Windows app crashed," and then you just restart Windows and you're fine. But you know, Firefox and Telegram and Thunderbird and, and all of your processes and all of your private information, all of that is sitting in a nice secure area of Linux with no problems. Now, as to the games that run on Linux, the great thing about uh, PCI Pass-Through, you can build a really beefy machine and you can have available both the Windows VM and you can have all of your native Steam stuff available. Does, are you following me with that? So, so you can have you can have all of your Linux Steam stuff on on the bare metal, and then you can boot this little uh, this uh, PCI pass through Windows version that has all of your Windows Steam games, and both can utilize this uh, this you know if you have like a nice beefy build, you can utilize that on both platforms. Does that make sense? That makes sense, but actually, if you use PCI pass through, doesn't it um, doesn't uh, Windows completely grab the entire video card and that's it? Um, uh, Linux doesn't see it at all. E- it can. Um, the, so that's probably what you would do. Yes. Uh, but what a lot of people do, and I think Wendell actually walks through, walks uh, through this with you is you can set it up in such a way that, uh, you have one specific video card that windows is grabbing and the rest of your, uh, rest of your system is still running through, uh, through Linux. So you can have other peripherals and stuff like that, that is, that are not, that are outside of that PCI pass through. Yeah, and and that's understood. So so I won't be able to play any Linux native games on my on my PC that has one video card with this. Um, uh, yeah, no. Well, you you could. You just have to shut the. You would just have to shut the. Uh, you would shut the Windows VM down when you wanted to do that, right? So you want to play. You're getting ready to game. You'd par- you'd you'd spin up the Windows VM. You'd play your games. When you're done, you'd shut that Windows VM down. You'd go back to your Linux by- device. If the games run on Linux, you could power them up right from Linux. And and don't don't let me stop you from trying it on Wine. That's that's perfectly fine. You can give that a shot. Uh, just from talking to mm-hmm. people that do this, that play games a lot. In fact, if Rakai was still here, I'd bring him back up. Uh, I think that they would tell you that you're going to have a better experience on PCI Pass-Through than you would with one, because you won't notice, because it literally is like as if you're playing on on um, on metal. Windows, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Sounds, sounds good. Um, yeah, let me check out that. Uh, what link, the link you're going to put up in the show, show notes, what do you call it? Yep, it's a uh, it's level one text. Uh, my friend Wendell Wilson and I will have that uh, I'll have that for you linked in the show notes. Podcast.asknoahshow.com. Uh, com. Dylan, I got about thirty seconds. Hello, hey, how's it going, Noah? Pretty good. <clears throat> I, I called you earlier. 
Um, yeah, I've been. Uh, I, 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 one more question, if you don't mind. Sure. It's OpenGL versus DirectX. Do you think that uh, with Wayland coming up, do you think that uh, uh, Linux can finally advance into hardcore gaming, essentially with like you know titles like GTA or uh, et cetera? Yeah, I do. I think that OpenGL has proven time and time again to be more advanced. And I think that once we get Wayland settled down, I think it's going to be absolutely fantastic. And I trust the people that are developing Wayland and the people that are developing these game engines and stuff to make that happen. Hey, guys, the Ask Noah show continues next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. Huge thanks to Vox Telsis for providing our phone systems. Ben, our producer, Sarah, our call screener, Rakai, our video editor. We'll hand you off to the Harm Reduction Report coming up on the all-new Independent Talk at EQQ 88.3.